Welcome back to another episode of the Jacob Johnston Show. So yesterday's episode, I would consider to be a bonus episode to my normal Monday, Thursday show. And that's because the debate happened and I needed to get out there. And I talked about the debate as pretty much being a tie, you know, no clear victor. This episode, I'm going to go through and analyze the media's debate analysis. Because as I go through and I take a look at how the media is trying to spin the debate and how they are going off on everything, it's becoming clearer and clearer that Trump may have actually won the debate and won it decisively. And there's an analysis that I will get to later on uh, that I've heard that actually makes a lot of sense and why the media is freaking out and trying their best to say, no more debates, no more debates. And I will get to that later. But first, let's go ahead and address one of the biggest lies that the media is trying to push in their debate analysis. And that is that Trump failed to denounce white supremacy. Now, this is a complete lie. And, you know, it's based off of the fact that Chris Wallace asked two questions as one. And so Trump, who is a person who has denounced white supremacy, in the strongest terms, many times, many times, I mean, dozens, if not hundreds of times. And over the course of his presidency, he's been asked this question about, do you denounce white supremacy repeatedly? And he answers repeatedly, they should be totally condemned. You know, the, the white supremacists are horrible people, even not going off to say that the KKK should be considered a terrorist organization. How much stronger can you condemn white supremacy? But no matter how many times he goes out there, condemns it, agrees it's bad, you know, that these are horrible people, how many times can he say that without people being able to hear what he has to say? I mean, does everybody in the media world, in the political analysis world, you know, do they need hearing aids? Because Trump is the only person that can go out there and after being asked the same question repeatedly, answer repeatedly, and nobody seems to be able to hear his answer. Why is that? Why is he being forced to repeatedly denounce something that he has already denounced repeatedly before? And yet the Democrats, on the other hand, never have to answer for Antifa, never have to answer for any of these other left-wing groups left-wing racism or left-wing supremacy groups, you know, race-based supremacy groups. They never have to answer any such question. The media doesn't even bother bringing it up. They're just like, oh, well, that's a given. But with Trump, they repeatedly ask him this question. He repeatedly denounces white supremacy. And then repeatedly they go out there and say, well, he just continues to fail to denounce white supremacy. And get a damn hearing aid, people. Did you not listen to the question and did you not listen to the answer? Of course they didn't. They have a narrative. They already wrote the narrative before the debate. So let's go ahead and analyze the question that was asked and Trump's answer. Are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland? Okay, so let's go ahead and break down that question. 
are you willing to condemn white supremacists and tell violent militia groups to stand down? Okay, so there's two questions there. Now, the media wants to try and conflate this a little bit as it was only one question. No, there was two questions there. So, as you can tell, if you go back and listen to that clip, you can go back and you can see that Trump answered the white supremacy question while Chris Wallace was still asking the rest of the question. So, if you go back, you hear Chris Wallace going, hey, will you condemn white supremacist groups? Sure. Okay. Boom. There's the answer. Yes. He condemned it right there. Are you willing to condemn white supremacist groups? Sure. And will you tell the militia groups to stand down instead of contributing to the violence? Okay. So yes, he answered it with one word, right? He answered it. And does he need to answer it with more than sure? You know, and how he had answered it? No. Why? Because he has answered this question unequivocally on the issue of white supremacy many times over the course of his presidency. So this was just a given. He's like, well, sure, you know, because he's already done it many, many times over repeatedly. Right. And then he gets to the second question about militia groups and the media is going off and trying to take the way Chris Wallace phrased the question to tie in the Proud Boys as being a white supremacist group and then saying the Proud Boys are celebrating after Trump mentioned their name uh, during the presidential debate and then going off and saying, well, Trump, Trump is now trying to say that he doesn't know who the Proud Boys are. Okay, so let's go into this media manipulation here. Okay, so again, the first part of, the, of this two-part question is, do you condemn white supremacists? Sure. Yes. You know, sure. I mean, he answered, yes, he condemns it, just as he has repeatedly condemned white supremacists. Then it goes off and asks him, well, do you condemn, you know, uh, or will you tell militia groups to stand down? And Trump goes off, and I'll play the clip here in just a moment. But, you know, Trump was going, sure, I will. I mean, do you want to name them? You know, do you want to, you know, me to address them by name, right? Because he doesn't know what they're talking about when it goes to these right-wing militia groups adding to the violence. Heck, I don't know what they're talking about there. So Trump goes, hey, do you want me to, you know, call them out by name? You know, give me a name. Tell me who they are. And it was Joe Biden that brought up the name, the Proud Boys, right? It was Joe Biden. Now, I don't know who the Proud Boys are. You know, I've never done any research into them, you know, but, you know, I'll, what I do know is that it was Biden that brought up the name, the Proud Boys. And so Trump goes off and goes, the Proud Boys? Okay, let's go with the Proud Boys. Okay. And then says that, you know, they should stand down, stand by, and let law enforcement do its work. All right. So let's go ahead and, you know, I'll replay the question so that you can hear Trump answer in the affirmative yes, you know, sure, to will you denounce white supremacy, and then go off and hear about his answers related to the Proud Boys. 
Are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland? Are you prepared to to specifically do it? I I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing. Not from the right wing. So what are you, what are you, you what are you saying? I'm I'm willing to do anything. I want to see peace. Then do it, sir. Say it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a name. White supremacists and right right supremacists. Stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left because this is not a right wing problem. So again, you hear the question, which is two questions in one. Will you condemn white supremacists? Sure, which is something he has done repeatedly, condemned white supremacists. Then he was asked about right-wing militia groups that Chris Wallace is saying is adding to the violence in places like Kenosha. Now, I don't know what they're talking about as far as right-wing militia groups, but because of the way he asked the question, the media is trying to conflate the supposed right-wing militia groups with being the same as white supremacists. But those are two very different concepts here, right? If Just because, you know, maybe if there is, you know, militia groups that are out there, that doesn't mean that they are white supremacists. But the media, they love to conflate. And then you also see that as Trump had already answered the question on the white supremacists, you know, will you denounce them? Sure you know, which he has done repeatedly, which is denounce them. Then he goes off to talk about the militia groups, and he's going off explaining that he doesn't know of any militia group that is adding to the violence because all the violence that he sees is coming from the left. Fact check, true. And so when Trump is being asked about these militia groups, he asks, well, can you name one? Can you name one? Can you name a militia group? And that's when you hear Biden come up and say, proud boys, proud boys. So in the context of militia groups, not white supremacies, you know, and I get it that, you know, uh, that Trump is talking about militia groups and, you know, and adding to the violence. Joe Biden is giving them a name of a supposed militia group. And then Chris Wallace is, you know, going back and talking and trying to conflate uh, militia groups with white supremacist groups. You know, so you got multiple conversations happening at once, and the media is trying to extrapolate from that what they want people to believe rather than what actually happened. So Trump condemns white supremacy. You know, and maybe he didn't use the strongest language this time, but I'm pretty sure at this point in time, he's getting tired of being asked the same question and answering it repeatedly and with nobody seemingly able to hear his answer, which is he condemns white supremacists. So he goes off and he talks about, okay, the Proud Boys, Proud Boys, okay, that's in the context of militia groups. And so he tells the Proud Boys to stand down and stand back. And as that clip goes on, you know, you can go back and rewatch that part of the debate. He talks about let law enforcement do their job. Now, the reason why we know that in the context of Proud Boys, he's not talking about white supremacists, he's talking about militia groups, is because he states, let law enforcement do their job. You're not going off and saying, you know, oh, yes, uh, 
white supremacists stand down and let law enforcement do their jobs. That doesn't make any sense. White supremacist is not involved in law enforcement or keeping law in order. So it would make no sense, you know, to talk about the Proud Boys in Trump's answers about the Proud Boys in the context of white supremacy or giving support to white supremacy because Trump is talking about law and order in this particular point and telling groups that he was told is a militia group to stand down, not a white supremacist group. Right? So he wasn't given the name the Proud Boys in the context of a white supremacist group. He was given it in the context of a militia group that is contributing to the violence. You understand the difference here. But the media is trying to act like it was just one question about white supremacists, not uh, two questions. First part, white supremacists. Second part, militia groups. And of course, you know, Trump, when asked about militia groups, is asking, do you want, do you want to name, name them by name? Give me a name. Give me a name. And that's when they gave him the name, the Proud Boys. Now, Trump later on, you know, yesterday was asked about the Proud Boys and he admits that he doesn't know who they are. And the media is trying to go off and go, of course he knows who they are. He mentioned them in the debate. Well, he only mentioned them because that's the name Joe Biden brought up, you know, as a militia group, not a white supremacist group, a militia group. And so Joe Biden and so President Trump was responding to them by name after he was told what their names were. Take a look how the media is trying to spin this. I don't know who the Proud Boys are. I mean, you'll have to give me a definition because I really don't know who they are. I can only say they have to stand down, let law enforcement do their work. Law enforcement will do the work more and more. As people see how bad this radical liberal Democrat movement is and how weak, the law enforcement's going to come back stronger and stronger. But again, I don't know who Proud Boys are, but whoever they are, they have to stand down, let law enforcement do their work. Caitlin, the president can say he doesn't know who the Proud Boys are, um, but the fact of the matter is that that's eerily similar to exactly what he says when, he is, when he's been presented with something that he does want to answer to in the past. It seems his way of getting out of having to answer it or inoculate himself from having to take a stance. I mean, just remember back to 2016 when seeing as Jake Tapper asked him very specifically if he will denounce David Duke, if he wants David Duke's support, and he says, I don't know who David Duke is. He seems to be taking a very similar same tactic here. There's no chance, Caitlin, that the aides within, with inside the White House don't have that answer for him, who, who the Proud Boys are, and can't give him more detail had he wanted to hear it. Also, look at the context in, what, in which this was brought up last night. It was when Chris Wallace was asking the president to denounce these white supremacist groups. He was Okay, so did you catch all the dishonesty there? Now, of course, that clip comes from CNN as they try to go off and make a bunch of false claims. So one of the things that they try to do is, oh, he's trying to say that he doesn't know who the Proud Boys are when he called them out by name at the debate. Well, again, if you take a look at that, Trump asked for a name of a group, a militia group, and it was Joe Biden that brought up the name, the Proud Boys. And so Trump answered that question in the context of militia groups, which is why he's constantly stating that, and uh, as it relates to the Proud Boys, that to stand down, let law enforcement do its job. 
because he's answering it as a militia group. And then CNN goes, well, he's saying he doesn't know them just like he doesn't know David Duke. Well, did you go back and take a look at 2016? Trump, when asked, David Duke endorsed you. And Trump goes, David Duke? And then completely rebuffs David Duke and rejects the endorsement. I, I'm, but CNN is trying to go off and, you know, rewrite history, rewrite reality, doesn't understand. Now, Trump is saying he doesn't know David Duke personally, right? He doesn't know David Duke personally. He understands who David Duke is as far as just being a name that he has heard throughout the years as and being a white supremacist and completely rebuked him and rejected the endorsement. But again, this is CNN, so facts don't actually matter. They're going off and trying to rewrite history. And then they tried to re-spin the question that Trump was asked as being, well, he was, you know, asked questions specifically about white supremacist groups. No, he wasn't. He was asked about white supremacists and militia groups, not white supremacist militia groups. So he was going off and had two questions as one, and the media is trying to conflate it as if it was one and the same. You heard the question from Chris Wallace. Did you hear one or two questions? I hear two questions. And when it comes through and you hear Trump talking about the Proud Boys, which is a name, again, that Joe Biden gave him, what does he talk about? He talks about them clearly in the terms of militia groups, not white supremacy groups, because he's talking about law enforcement. This is the media manipulation that is going on. You ask one question, and then you do the analysis as if a different question was asked. You you put two questions in as one, and that way, no matter how they answer the two-part question, you act, you act as if there was only a one-part question, and then you can spin the answer however you want to fit whatever narrative you want. This type of bull crap happens all the time in the media, where they're trying to ask questions in a very manipulative manner, so no matter how you answer, they can demonize you or they can try and you know praise you depending on if you're a democrat or a republican it is the the most deceptive form of well i don't even want to call it journalism it is just gaslighting propaganda what they are doing and they should be ashamed of themselves but of course they don't care because their goal is to incite violence their goal is to incite division now i've talked about before that as they're successfully able to incite violence, they make money off of the violence from increased viewership and ratings. But in this particular instance, they're trying to do their best to just flat out bullshit you. They're just trying to bullshit you to fit a particular narrative. Because anybody, any reasonable person that cuts out the media hacks and goes back and just watches the debate itself. Under no circum, uh, well, I'm getting a little riled up here, but if you go back there, it is very obvious. Two questions. Do you, you know, uh, condemn white supremacist groups? Sure. And will you tell militia groups to stand down? 
you know, and Trump, having already answered the white supremacist question repeatedly, and even on the debate stage, goes off and addresses this whole concept of a right-wing militia group adding to the violence, telling them to stand down. This is just, this is beyond media malfeasance. This is, this is CNN, NBC, ABC engaging in complete fraud. Complete fraud. They, right now, for them to call themselves journalists and news organizations is fraud and fraud is illegal. They should be completely ashamed of themselves, but they have no shame. Their whole job is to just lie to you. Their whole job is to bullshit you. To Their whole job is to try and get Democrats elected by any means necessary. So now the only question I have is, who has the dumber audience? CNN? The Young Turks? MSNBC? I mean, let's actually, you know what? I'm going to post this up on uh, Twitter and probably uh, Facebook as well. I'm going to put out uh, a poll here asking people which liberal news outlet has the dumbest audience of all time. And as I think about this whole will you condemn white supremacy question, it kind of reminds me of my kids a little bit. Now, hold on. Let me try and explain this. Because as I have stated, he gets asked this question repeatedly and he answers the question repeatedly. And so he gets annoyed with the question. So it reminds me of when I'm at the store with my kids and they see a toy and they really want it and they start going, can I have it, please? No. Can I have it, please, please, please? No. I want it, please, please, no. At some particular point in time, you start getting annoyed that they just won't take your answer that they keep ignoring your answer and keep repeatedly asking the question. They're like the kid. They're like kids that don't like the answer that they hear. So they keep asking it in order to try and wear you down so that they can get an answer that they can then twist and turn into whatever it is they wanted to hear to begin with. Okay, so that's enough about debunking the whole Trump failed to condemn white supremacy, and going off and providing the real context for his statement about the Proud Boys, which the real context is in the terms of a militia group, which is why he keeps telling them to stand down and let law enforcement handle the riots. Now, as I've gone through here and I've taken a look at all the other analysis that the media has done, it is becoming more and more evident that maybe it wasn't a tie. Maybe Trump really did win and win decisively. And I get this analysis here from listening to what's going on in the left-wing media and what they're trying to say and listening to a very interesting political analysis from Dan Bongino. So first, let's go ahead and hear what the media is trying to say about the debate that kind of goes off and shows that, hey, you know what? Trump did win. So a very simple question. After what went down this evening, do you think Joe Biden should participate? 
in a second or third debate. Should the next two debates go on as scheduled? I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if this is the last presidential debate. Should there be other debates? Are we really going to repeat this? Are we going to have another two of, of these? I think we have to hear from the Presidential Commission on Debates tomorrow. We, 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 we can't do two more of these. Why are we bothering a, with a discussion of the rules, of format, of time limits, of uh, moderators at all when we have just seen what is going to happen? That clip right there, which is a supercut, yes, and I believe it comes from Grabian. As the media admitting that, hey, Trump won. Why? Why is that an admission that Trump actually won the presidential debate rather than being my initial analysis, which is it was a tie? Okay, so let me go off and explain this. We know that the media is filled with a bunch of hacks. They're going to advocate for whatever benefits the Democrats and whatever hurts the Republicans. And so if they thought that Joe Biden you know, had a strong debate performance that Joe Biden wiped the floor with uh, President Trump. If they thought that President Trump looked bad in the debate, then they would be advocating, yes, we want more of this. We want more of this because it would help Joe Biden. It makes Joe Biden look good and it would help him uh, win the election. Right? We know that would be the response. But if the debates go badly, what do they say? Oh, we shouldn't have debates. Debates are pointless. You know, we we should cut out the rest of the debates. The fact that they're afraid to continue the debates shows that based off of what uh, analysis they are going on, the debates were positive for Trump and negative for Joe Biden because they're wanting to avoid any future debates because they don't want Trump to continue to win debate and humiliate Joe Biden. I mean, it is very simple here. All you got to do is take a look at how the media reacts and how the media, you know, operates. And you understand that if the debates went good for Joe Biden, they would advocate for more debates. If the debates went bad for Joe Biden, of course, all the debates are useless. They're pointless. There's no reason to have the debate. It's all about trying to protect Joe Biden and what will promote Joe Biden the best. And so as we go through and we take a look at the media, you know, universally on the left wing, trying to cancel the remaining debates, well, that right there is enough to explain that the debates went really well for President Trump and really bad for Joe Biden. And by the way, even left-wing outlets that are doing polling based off of who do you think won the debate? The polling is showing that President Trump won the debate. Now, I, when I was going off and saying it as a tie the other day, I'm analyzing it a little bit differently than what maybe the average viewer would analyze it as. I was trying to go based off of substance and calling out, although I did say that while it was a tie, it probably leaned a little bit towards President Trump. Well, apparently a lot of people out there thought it went more heavily for President Trump, including the left-wing media that is now trying to find a way to get Joe Biden out of the other debate so that the debates don't continue to hurt Joe Biden with his weak, pathetic performance. Okay, so 
That is interesting. Now, the reason why I may have miscalculated when I had stated that this was a tie is because maybe I am misreading the what the election itself is. So I'm looking at it in more of a traditional sense, whereby there's still people who are undecided and the debates are about trying to swing the undecided voters. But there was an interesting analysis that was brought up by Dan Bongino on the Dan Bongino show that I found interesting that the debate wasn't about trying to convince undecided because, and honest, you know, honestly, there probably isn't much in the way of undecided voters. I mean, think about this. And, and, and this does make sense when it is put into this context. Who could actually be undecided at this particular point? We know both candidates very well. You know, we got President Trump. He's been in the public spotlight. Everybody's known his name for decades. And then we have seen him for the last four years as president. So if you're taking a look at this from the context of President Trump, who by now doesn't know President Trump, doesn't know what he will do as president, hasn't seen his record, and hasn't seen the 24-hour seven-day-a-week nonstop coverage of President Trump. Everybody had already made up their mind about whether or not they're going to vote for President Trump long before this election cycle even started, long before January 2020. They already knew their votes were already locked in. And then when it comes to Joe Biden, Joe Biden, being in the race, clinches the Democrat nomination. Okay. Joe Biden has been in public office for 47 years right, as a senator. He's been in the news for a vast majority of that time. He was vice president of the last Democrat administration for eight years. Who doesn't know Joe Biden You know, and all of Joe Biden's gaffe? Who doesn't already have a locked-in opinion of Joe Biden? You know, he was vice president for eight years and he was a senator for the, for what, the 39 years prior or 40 some years prior. So everybody already knows who Joe Biden is, you know, and Joe Biden being a gaffe machine, everybody already knows that. So this isn't about trying to get undecided voters because who is undecided? Who hasn't heard about these two candidates? and hasn't already gotten all the information that they needed. So maybe, just maybe, there might be a total of 5% of undecided voters, which means, you know, maybe you might be able to say 10%. So, and that's being generous. So you got 45% of the country that is locked in for Republicans, 45% of the country that is locked in for Democrats, and that's being generous and making the statement that maybe there is upwards of 10% of undecided voters. And even that would be an overestimation. And so when we really break it down, there's probably about, you know, a 48 to 48% split. And maybe there's really only 4% undecided voters. So as Dan, Dan Bongino in his analysis, which actually makes a lot of sense, and actually clarifies what Trump's strategy was going into the debate. 
that this election is not about trying to swing undecided voters because there really isn't any undecided voters to swing. It's a turnout election. It's all about turnout. So you're trying to figure out a way to motivate your base to turn out while demotivating your opponent's base to turn out. And when you take a look at that and how some of the things in the debate played out, you realize that, hey, if Trump went in there with a strategy, not just to motivate his base, but to try and demotivate Biden's base, the turnout for Biden that already suffers from a lack of enthusiasm, that already suffers from no one being excited about the prospect of voting for Joe Biden. Since Trump goes in and is looking at all of this and realizing that there's no motivation for Joe Biden, all he needs to do is turn that lack of motivation into some anger at Joe Biden from his own base. You know, a revolt of Joe Biden from his base. And there's a good argument that Trump actually succeeded at doing that. So let's go ahead and listen to, you know, point by point on how Trump, if this is all about turnout, effectively was able to get Joe Biden to rebuke his own base, to get Joe Biden to tell his own base that I don't support what you want me to support and demotivating the idea of turnout for Joe Biden. So let's go ahead and take a look at uh, the first clip as to Trump's debate strategy. What I proposed is that uh, we expand Obamacare and we increase it. We do not wipe any. And one of the big debates we had with 23 of my colleagues trying to win the nomination that I won, we're saying that Biden wanted to allow people to have private insurance still. They can. They do. They will under my proposal. It's not what you've said, but and it's not what your party is, has said. That is simply Your party a lie. doesn't say it. Your party wants simple. to go socialist medicine my party is and me. socialist right healthcare. now. I am and the they're going to dominate party. you, Joe. You know that. I am the Democratic Party right now. The platform of the not Democratic Party Harris. is what I, in fact, approved of. So yes, take a l- listen to that clip for a moment, because as you know, the Bernie Bros and the AOC supporters out there that are part of Joe Biden's base that he needs to turn out and turn out in large numbers, they want socialized medicine. They want to go out there and have a complete government takeover of the healthcare system. They want Medicare for all. And Joe Biden's going out there saying, no, I don't approve of that. And Trump keeps pressing them. Well, that's what your party wants. That's what your party wants. And Joe Biden goes, this, I am the Democrat party, which is a very arrogant statement to make to begin with. So it kind of goes off and shows Joe Biden is an egotistical maniac, far more than Trump, because Trump doesn't claim that he is the Republican party. But Joe Biden goes, I am the Republican party. The platform is what I approve of, not what the base wants, not what Bernie Sanders and AOC advocates for. It's only what what Joe Biden wants, that Joe Biden approved. That's what the Democrat Party is. And then Joe Biden goes out and advocates for letting people keep their private health insurance. Now, this is you know a rebuke of Joe Biden's base. And this was, you know, this part was flawlessly executed. Because if you 
we're going to go out and support Joe Biden because you want him to advocate for left, you know, far left, you know, ideologies. Joe Biden just said, I don't believe in far left ideology. That's not part of this. I am the party. You will listen to me. And we're not having socialized medicine. I, uh, and we're not going to have Medicare for all. We're going to, you know, keep the private health care insurance, which goes off to upset the Bernie bros, the AOC, the socialist left wing of the Democrat party. And this starts creating that tension and that separation of Biden already having a demotivated base and then having him separate saying, Hey, I don't support what my base supports. And if the election is not about swing voters, you know, and persuading them to change their minds and it is about turnout. Now you start seeing why the leftist media are starting to go off and trying to advocate for canceling the next two debates because this was a horrible performance for Joe Biden because he's rebuking the, you know, what his party, what the left wing base is wanting to promote. And Joe Biden saying, no, I am the Democrat party. The party platform is what I approve, which is also him saying to, you know, the far left is you don't get a voice in this election. You don't get a voice or a say in the direction of the Democrat party. It's all about what I want. And I am rebuking what you, the far left and the base want. And so this is the part that was flawlessly executed. But this isn't the only part in which President Trump was able to get Joe Biden to rebuke what his base wants as far as policies to be advocated. So let's go ahead and take a look at another clip here. Go ahead. Mr. Vice President answered his his final question. The final question is, I can't remember which of all his rantings. (laughs) I'm having a little trouble trouble myself. But uh, and and about the economy and about this question of what it's going to cost. The the economy. economy, I mean, the Green New Deal and the the, idea of what what your environmental changes will do. The Green New Deal will pay for itself as we move forward. We're not going to build plants that, in fact, are great polluting plants. Do you support the Green New Deal? Pardon me? Do you support that? No, I don't support the Green oh, New Deal. Oh, you don't? Oh, well, well that's a big let, statement. I support that means you the, just the radical left. I, su- I support oh, the don't. Biden plan. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? So in the last clip that I had shown or played for you to listen to, what happened? Joe Biden, in saying that he was the Democrat Party, was going off and separating from the Medicare for all crowd that he was going off and saying, no, I don't support Medicare for all. And by the way, I am the Democrat Party. It's what I approve of, not what the left wants. And I don't approve of Medicare for all when we were talking about socialized medicine. So Trump had already gotten him at this point to rebuke the left's call for Medicare for all, the Bernie Sanders and AOC wing of the Democrat base. Now in here, you just saw him say that he does are in, in podcast form. You just heard Joe Biden say, I do not support the Green New Deal. And immediately you, you can hear Trump go, well, then that's, you know, big. That's a shock. You just lost the Democrat base. You just lost the radical left. 
And because Trump knew what he was doing, he was kind of signaling what it was he was doing in that debate. And it took me three times of watching the debate to really catch on to this, you know, and after hearing some other analysis that Trump plan, his goal, his strategy wasn't about convincing swing voters and the undecided. It was about depressing uh, turnout for Biden by detaching him from his base. So you have Biden going, coming out against Medicare for all and going off and making very clearly that he is the Democrat party and he and Medicare for all is not an option. Right. So that depresses the AOC and Bernie bros. And then in the last clip, you know, that I had just played, you hear him come out. And at first it seems like he's talking up the green new deal. And then, you know, the question is asked, well, then you support the green new deal. And Biden goes, no, I do not support the green new deal. I support the Biden plan. Well, is the Biden plan the green new deal? No. So what did he just say? He just rebuked the green new deal. So, you know, this is kind of the back and forth throughout the night, getting Biden to rebuke the AOC Bernie Sanders wing of the Democrat party. Now, if you're an AOC and a Bernie Sanders supporter and you're taking a look at the debate and you're hearing Joe Biden say he doesn't agree with the policies that you're advocating for and you're already not very motivated to turn out for Biden because you don't really like him very much and now you hear him, you know, point by point, you know, a Trump getting Biden to rebuke the policies that you want and now it doesn't matter what, who you vote for, neither candidate is going to support the policies that you're advocating for. Well, then what's the point in turning up? What's the point of showing up and voting for someone who, you know, no matter how you vote is not going to advocate. In fact, is not only not advocating for the policies that you want, but is rebuking and rejecting it. So he's turning. So Trump is by getting Biden to rebuke the left-wing agenda, the far-left agenda, the far-left plans, the the type of policies that the far-left advocates for, he's turning that lack of enthusiasm for Joe Biden on the left into anger against Joe Biden from the left. And when you understand that this is not about, you know, um, swing voters, this is about voter turnout in this election, then this strategy starts making sense, and it starts pulling it together. And, you know, like I said, it was Dan Bongino and listening to his analysis that really got this making sense. And then going through and taking a look that, you know, in my third run of the presidential debate and seeing that, yes, he actually did get Joe Biden to go out and come out against the ideas of the far left base that Joe Biden needs if he has any hope of winning. And so, yes, was it, you know, executed flawlessly point by point on every issue? No. But if you go through and you take a look at left-wing media and especially left-wing YouTubers, you know, if you go off and you talk, take a look at uh, this channel, uh, Secular Talk, you know, I don't want to advertise their channel. You know, they're, you know, he's a kook. You know, most of the time, you know, as is the case with, you know, the Young Turks and other 
you know, left wing, you know, YouTube channels and such. But if you go off and take a look at that, he's trying to tell people, calm down, calm down, settle down. No, don't revolt against Biden over this. This, this is what Trump wants. And so, yes, you can see the leftists. This is why they want to cancel the rest of the debates. It's not only that Joe Biden didn't have a strong performance, but the fact that Trump had gotten Joe Biden to rebuke the policies of the far left. And so CNN, NBC, MSNBC, they saw this. They saw what had happened, what may have gone over, you know, some of us who were looking at this from the, from the prospect of, you know, a swing voters election instead of a turnout election. You know, and so it was very interesting to be able to see all of this play out. And it starts to make more sense now why the left is freaking out, trying to find a way to cancel and get out of the remaining two debates between Joe Biden and President Trump. And President Trump, I think, you know, the constant interruptions were to disorient Joe Biden. Now, I was saying that, you know, what you do is you just let Joe Biden speak for about 60 to 90 seconds, and then he'll trip over himself and start going into his incoherent rants. But I guess, you know, with the constant interruptions that were going on, it kind of confused and disorients Joe Biden and gets him, you know, and challenges whether or not he's really leading the Democrat Party versus just a figurehead. And that disorientation, plus the whole he's just a puppet, he won't be in charge of anything, got to Joe Biden to the point where he got confused about, you know, what he needed to say. And he, and in his anger, came out and rebuked the policies of the far left, the policies of Bernie Sanders, the policies of AOC, what his base wants him to support in order to justify them voting for someone who they otherwise have no enthusiasm to vote for. So that is a very interesting how that played out. And if this is about a turnout election, then Trump's strategy was executed very well. The media knows it, which is why they're trying to get out of the second debates. And, you know, they know that, you know, if this continues on, Joe Biden isn't going to have any turnout you know, isn't going to really have any turnout if President Trump is able to get him to, you know, to rebuke point by point what the Democrats platform is and get to show Biden as being this arrogant, I am the Democrat Party and the Democrat Party does not support socialized medicine, does not support the Green New Deal. You know, if he can keep Biden doing that, then Trump definitely will win by a landslide. Now, as I've said, I'm coming at this particular podcast from the analysis that this is about voter turnout and not trying to, you know, go after swing voters because there's not much in the way of swing voters to go after. But that doesn't mean that Trump didn't, you know, also execute a strategy for the swing voters. And that's where the question about the Supreme Court came into play, where Joe Biden refused to, you know, promise not to pack the Supreme Court, where Joe Biden was signaling that he would, in fact, agree about packing the Supreme Court. And so you got 
Joe Biden turning off maybe the, you know, two or 3% of swing voters, you know, with the whole pack the court idea, but separated from his base to, you know, demotivate voter turnout, which is a good strategy. Now, beyond that, as we go off and we talk about the Supreme Court, the left keeps trying to go off and rewrite the rules of the Supreme Court and trying to go off and talk about, well, it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg's dying wish that she not be, that her seat not be filled until the next president takes office. Well, you know, if Trump is reelected, the next president wouldn't be until, you know, after the 2024 elections. That is a long time to hold open a seat. And by the way, since when do the Supreme Court justices get to make a wish about when and who will replace them on the Supreme Court? That never happens. That is never, I mean, did they ever go off and have a discussion over what Justice Scalia's dying wish may have been after he passed? No. The Democrats went through and tried to nominate Merrick Garland. And the Republicans said, no, thank you. You know, we are a Republican Senate. Our advice and consent is we're not consenting. You know, because you got different political parties. Now, the Senate and the White House are controlled by the same party. So they're going to go off and have a different view on advice and consent. But yet the left keeps going off on this whole it was her last wish. It was her dying wish. I mean, take a look at Kamala Harris here. But it looks like this president and his party are not interested in hearing any of the lessons from Justice Ginsburg. Already the president and his party have chosen to ignore Justice Ginsburg's final wish to hold off the nomination to replace her until after the next president is chosen. A wish, by the way, shared by the American people. And look, it's not complicated. The voters would simply like to have an opportunity to vote for their president before the Senate votes on a nominee. Now, I do find it hysterical that the Democrats' only line of attack here to try and, you know, stop the nomination of a Supreme Court justice to replace RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, is to talk about her dying wish. The fact that they have to resort to her dying wish goes to show that they have no argument. They have no justification. They have no reason to as to why this nominee can't be seated. Now, I, I get some of you are going, well, is the line the Republicans used uh you know, that the voters should have a say. Well, guess what? The voters, yes, right? They did have a say. When they voted, they voted a president for four terms, and they vote for the Senate and who should be in charge of the Senate every two years, right? Every two years. Yes, senators are up for election every six years, but a third of the Senate is voted on every two years. So what does that mean? Well, that means, yes, they voted that you know, President Obama could nominate people for four years. But they also voted in the, you know, uh, 20, you know, well, in the election, you know, before the 2016 election, the 2014 election, that they wanted the Senate 
to be controlled by the Republicans. And so while Obama was having the power to nominate for his entire four years, the Senate also, for the entirety of their control, as determined by the voters, could decide whether or not they were going to seat the justice in their advise and consent role. And so, you know, this whole dying wish thing, you know, here we got the Republicans in control of the White House and the Senate. The people already stated who they wanted to have in control unequivocally of Supreme Court nominations throughout the first term of President Trump. And they had a chance in the 2018 election as to whether or not they wanted to change control of the Senate and who would be in charge and what party would be in charge of the Supreme Court nominations. And they did. Now, this whole not until the new, a new president is seated. Well, if President Trump gets reelected, that means that if a dying wish had any weight, we could be waiting until 2024 for a replacement for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And that is untenable. And you know what? A dying wish is meaningless. It has no legal weight. It has no constitutionality. It has nothing. A wish by its definition is you wanting something that you know you haven't earned or had a right to. It's just something that you wish you could have, but you know it's not going to happen because there's no basis for it. But trying to go off, I mean, this has to be one of the most pathetic lines, the most pathetic attempts that the Democrats have tried to use in order to justify what it is they are trying to promote. If they have to resort to a dying wish, then you know they have nothing. They are scraping the bottom of the bottom barrel. Now, as far as Ruth Bader Ginsburg goes, I'm not a particular fan. Now, I'm not going to go off and trash the, uh, the dead, but she wasn't exactly a justice that upheld the Constitution or actually reviewed the laws. She, she was an ideologue who would subvert the law to a political ideology. Right? So she wasn't really doing the job of a justice the way the uh, job of a justice should be done, which is you set aside all politics and just review, in this particular case, what does the law actually say? What does the Constitution actually say? Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't go by that. She just goes, Well, what's my political beliefs? That's what I want to ram in as law. She was trying to legislate from the bench, right? So anyways, the left, their whole dying wish thing is pathetic. It is meaningless. It just goes to show they have absolutely nothing. No reason, no argument, no justification. They have nothing. And if this whole dying wish business actually had any weight, guess what? The Supreme Court would never change. Every justice would then choose their own replacement or would choose who got to decide who their replacement was. In which case, every left-wing judge would say, well, it's my dying wish that I only be replaced by a nominee from a Democrat president. Guess what? That is not how it works. And by the way, you know, the left, you kind of destroyed your own ability to 
advocate that there should be, you know, a, a waiting until after the election for a Supreme Court nominee. Here's why. Look at all the voter fraud that you are engaged in. Right? You're going off and you are undermining the election. This election could end up being contested at the Supreme Court level. And guess what? We cannot have a four to four tie at the Supreme Court when it comes to challenging ballots. We see you know, that ballots for President Trump is being thrown away in ditches and dumpsters. We see ballots being printed with major errors. We see, you know, uh, ballot harvesting, you know, where people go off and take advantage of the old, collect their ballots, loosen the glue and replace the ballot inside of the envelope. We see so much fraud going on in this election that, you know, there is really no sense of legitimacy should Biden win or be declared the winner. And this could end up being challenged in the Supreme Court. And therefore, we can't risk a four to four tie. So your own dishonesty and corruption has made it an impossible or an impossible idea to keep a Supreme Court vacancy open and unfilled. Uh, All right, all right. So that's it uh, for this particular episode. Thank you so much for listening in. Give me a rating and a review. Help share this and help, you know, get other people aware of this show. Share it on social media, you know, share it in your personal, you know, Facebook profile. The best way to support the conservative movement is when you find conservative voices to share them and help other people gain awareness of that conservative voice. And then that allows them to decide whether or not they find value and entertainment and listening to the show, whether that be my show or other emerging conservative voices. Right? The best, the best that the left can hope for is with, especially with all of their online censorship is that if you do stumble across conservative voices, that you don't share it. By not sharing the show, you are letting the left win and helping to suppress the conservative voices and helping the left make it harder to find conservative voices. Right? So please leave me a rating and review. Share this on your personal social media accounts so other people can find the show as well. Thank you so much for listening. And unless something big happens, I will be back again on Monday.